0: Hello, and welcome to the High Street Community Church podcast. We're so excited you're learning alongside us, and we pray this message leads you closer to the Lord and others. High Street Community Church is simply a family of friends following Jesus. God bless you as you listen.
1: And amen who's ready to fish so we're continuing on in our series a fisherman's guide and last week we talked about fishing in your local creek which was like the people closest to you your family your friends or your close work associates might be a neighbor and that is exciting because we care so much about those people in our lives especially those that we know really dearly that would just say i don't think they know who the lord is and we want them to, so much to know the lord So we're continuing on in our series, and now we're talking about rivers, and rivers is just a good uh, picture um, of a bigger context. The neighborhood, like Westlake up here, this neighborhood, or the neighborhood around where your house is, or the bigger area of maybe where you work or where you're attending school, these bigger areas of your community. How do we share? How do we fish for people in those contexts? Um, and I, as I was planning out this sermon series, I got to tell you, I came to this this one. And because we're following the scripture that, that Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's real small and local, and then Judea, that's the area that's like your, you know, areas that you'd be around in. And then next week, we're going to talk about Samaria, which is a different cultural context, but nearby. We're talking about a cultural context that we are in, but they may not be our closest family. So I'm, I got excited about this topic. And I said to myself, as and I'm sitting in my desk, I'm like, the perfect person to preach this message is not me. I mean, I'm like, I'll like, I'll do it, and it would be neat. But I what who came to mind was Mike Romberger, and we've become closer and closer friends. We've talked about this kind of thing. I know his history at different churches, I know his heart for people. And the series, as you see it, A Fisherman's Guide, this guy knows how to fish in rivers. Actually, I have no idea if you can catch a fish in a river. But evangelistically speaking, he's the right guy. And so I was so excited when he agreed, kind of last minute. It wasn't a big lead time to say, yes, I'd love to come to your church. And we talked about how that would happen and, and, and what would go on. So I can't tell you how excited I am to have him. He's preached here before. You love having him here. But come on up, Mike. I want to pray for you real quick. Um, not only excited because, like I said, he's a friend of mine and I, really enjoy getting to know you better and better. But I love his heart. And I'm like, I want to share his heart and his knowledge of God's word and his experience with our church. And so I pray that that would happen now. So let me pray for you. Thank you. God, thanks for Mike. Um, Thanks for his family. Would you bless them? Um, Thanks for Jane being here as well. And a prayer is simple, is that you would use him now to speak to us and that we would walk in the good works that you've prepared for us, that we'd be alert to your spirit and that you would equip us now, you'd teach us how to fish in this context, and you'd teach us to care. I pray for him also in his role, his strategic role up at Mount Hermon, um, especially in a unique challenge with a virus like this, that hits a public gathering place like that. So give them wisdom, encourage them, keep them in your will and in your ways, and um, protect them. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Have at it.
0: Well, good morning. It's good to be back with you once again. Thank you, Danny, so much for your kind invitation and introduction. Danny and I are in a pastoral cohort together, and what goes on in that cohort stays in that cohort. However, I want to tell you one thing that Danny said <laughs> that I didn't get permission to tell you, and I tell you this, that this is, you know, um, that's when you find out if somebody's really happy where they are, they love where they are, and Danny shared those two. that he loves being here and he loves you so much and it was genuine and if it wasn't so I would not tell you so you know so uh, thank you Danny and it's good to see you in church every time I'm here you're not here so I'm glad that 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 you're actually go to church here and I I heard a rumor but it's great to actually have you here so greeting everyone it's good to see you all I hadn't heard that one before about the foot but uh, okay all right Well, Danny mentioned Acts chapter one, verse eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth, Acts chapter one. But I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, and please turn them to Matthew chapter nine. Matthew chapter nine, the first book of the New Testament to chapter nine and we're gonna be hanging out at the end of that chapter. And when Danny called me, I, I said I would do it, come on one condition that I could speak on one particular thing that's really on my heart when it comes to this subject, maybe not fit perfectly into the, the series, and, and he said that would be, that would be fine. Um, I've never preached this message before. This is new and fresh for, for today, but it comes out of a deep personal journey for me and my wife, for both of us, and my message today comes to you in form of a question And the question is simply this, do you care? Do you care? Because we can talk all we want to about fishing and people and communities, but if we don't care about these people, nothing's going to happen. Nothing. Matthew chapter 9, we're going to begin in verse 35 and go to the end of the chapter, which is just verse 38. Verse 35, it says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's get a basic understanding of a few items of these verses, and then we'll go back and dig in deeper. First of all, in verse 35, it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and, and villages. This is his Galilean ministry. Historian Josephus believes that there was about 200 um, towns, villages, cities in that location. Some historians believe that maybe even up to 3 million people lived in this vicinity. So it's a lot of places that he would have gone. Verse 35 also says he was teaching in their synagogues. Synagogue is, you know, in many ways the local church, one per town. It was it literally means a place of assembly. It was a place for spiritual instruction. It was a place for worship, exactly what's happening here today. But it also was like the town hall and, and the courthouse. It, it was the, the hub of the Jewish life, the, the synagogue. And he would go to their synagogues and teach them. And it says in verse 35 also, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom when he would go to the synagogues, teach and proclaim. He would proclaim the gospel. Gospel means good news. He would proclaim the good news of what? Of the kingdom. The gospel of the good news of the kingdom. What's the good news of the kingdom? Well, it's God's rule and reign in a person's life. It's God's dominion over Satan and sin. It's God's eternal kingdom in heaven. Good news, proclaiming about the kingdom, his rule and reign in a life, over Satan and sin, and the fact that he has an eternal kingdom. Verse 36, it says that there were crowds that were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Harassed and helpless. Various translations include words like battered, exhausted, wounded, aimless. They didn't have a shepherd, one who provides spiritual protection, spiritual provision, spiritual guidance, and love to them. And he sees these people, they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Verse 37, he says the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is something you gather up. Usually we think of a harvest, of course, when it comes to crops. They're, they've come to you know, full health, and they're ready to be picked in order to be eaten or to be used and however they would be used. But Jesus is using a farming metaphor to talk about the spiritual world of lost people, people without him, that need to be gathered up to be saved to be a part of his the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but also in verse 37, the laborers are few. And this is the reality or the problem that Jesus presents to them, that there are a ton of people that God desires to gather up, but there are not enough workers to gather them up. So a little bit of, of, of background. I have found that when there was a message in a church, and I have... Uh, I was a pastor for all my years until coming to Mount Hermon about five years ago. I found when, when a pastor preaches a sermon on the subject of evangelism in a church, nobody who's a follower of Christ in there ever disagrees with what the pastor says. But rarely is the needle moved to any action. And why is that? Because they don't care. Deep down, not enough to do something about it. I want to tell you a little bit about my story. I grew up in a Christian home. I'm very grateful for my home. Um, we went to church Sunday morning. We went to church Sunday night. We went to church midweek. Um, my dad was on the, the board of the church at times. My mother was, in, was very helpful with the senior adults at the church for a number of years. Uh, My parents gave financially generously to the church and to other Christian organizations. Um, I saw that on a regular basis. We had missionaries over for dinner every once in a while. That would be in town, that my mom and dad supported. Uh, My parents loved to hear about people who gave their life to Christ. My dad would say, that's what it's all about. But never once, never once, do I ever remember my mom or dad ever verbally saying anything to another human being that wasn't a Christian about Jesus. I just never saw that model. The church that I went to was a wonderful place. I'm very grateful for the church I grew up in. In fact, just a few weeks ago, I went back there. I hadn't been there for a long, long time, and it seems very different than it was back then. I saw six people I recognized. It's been a very long time, but um, it was a church that helped us grow in our faith, but I don't remember an emphasis on on sharing your faith with others or any type of altar calls or things like that growing up. They might have had some of that, but I just don't remember as a kid that happening. I then went on to seminary to become a pastor. I got my master's degree. I got my doctorate, uh, preached God's word, you know, through verse by verse, through books of the Bible, really teaching the people, um, focused on discipling believers. I was always told that if if you train the people, then they will go and do and what I begin to observe is the more people seem to be trained and know the scriptures, the less they seem to do. And then God began to change Jane and my heart toward people who didn't know Jesus Christ. I'm not sure exactly how to describe it because it happened uh, over some time, but it was like, you know, we started to love our neighbors who were great people. And to have the thought that these great people, if they were to die and not have Jesus, they would spend the eternity apart from the Lord in in a place uh, called hell of torment. It it really bothered us. We began to really love the the local school uh, where our kids went. Their teachers, principal, the other parents that we got to meet, the parents we got to meet of our friends out on the ball fields, at, at the gymnastics meets, at the choir concerts. And it was like, wait a minute, they're wonderful people, most of them, and if they were to die today without Jesus, they would spend an eternity in hell. And some people don't believe in a hell, and they don't believe in the devil, and they don't believe in demons and all of that. All I know is that from the same book that comes heaven and God and angels comes hell and the devil and demons. If one is true, I have to believe the other is true as well. Jane and I even uh, saw demonic activity take place and we sat in a setting where we saw a um, demons literally being manifest in an in individual and the evil and the vileness and the wickedness that we saw just jarred us and said, okay, if that's what's on the other side, we need to do something about this. We need to, to, to speak up and to talk about this and to help people not get there. We begin to genuinely care. And when you genuinely care for people, it changed how we lived and it changed how we led. So, let's go back to our passage and really understand what is being said here. And let's make no mistake about this. Jesus is our example. Jesus is our example. Let's read it again. Verse 35, chapter 9 of Matthew. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And in these verses, I want to present to us five proofs that you care. This can be your litmus test. Are these five things true about me? If you do these five things, it's obvious that you care. Five proofs that you care. Proof number one, you are proactive, You are proactive in being with people who do not know the Lord. Verse 35, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. Don't miss those first three words. And Jesus went. And Jesus went. He was proactive. He went to those who were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus said of himself in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save Lost. He came to seek them. He was proactive to go after them. Jesus' final words to his disciples before he ascended into heaven, known as the Great Commission, is go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Go. Be proactive and go. And Jesus went to the villages. He went to the towns. He went to the cities. Maybe up to 200 of them. He was not passive, but he was active. And if you really care about something, you don't sit. You get up and you go. You're not passive, but you're active. If you genuinely care, you're proactive. Proof number two. If you genuinely care, you speak up. You speak up. Verse 35, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Teaching and proclaiming. People who genuinely care about a matter, they speak up. They cannot remain silent due to the depth of their conviction. People these days are speaking up, as Danny pointed out, of the coronavirus, right? Because it matters. There's a crisis. We need to speak up. We need to make people aware of the situation. People speak up due to their conviction of racism, the Me Too movement, political issues, sports teams. If you care, you speak up. On September 17, 2017, I preached a message here. I'm sure you remember all about it. I'm really happy if people remember on Monday what I preached on Sunday, but I went back in my notes and saw on September 17, 2017, I preached a message here titled, "Use Your Words." Use Your Words." It was from 1 Corinthians chapter two verses 1 through five. I don't believe it's enough just to have good deeds. To, to have an impact on people for the gospel, you got to explain things. You got to say things. You got to tell them so they understand it. You got to speak up. I gave some illustrations that day. One of those illustrations was uh, we we used to live in Colorado for almost 14 years before moving out here. When a big snowstorm would hit, uh, we always liked big snowstorms. You knew they, knew they were coming. You get your food. You're all set. School's canceled. Work's canceled. And then everybody gets out in. in not everybody, but a lot of the people get out under the sidewalks and the streets with their shovels and their snow blowers, and we dig each other out. It's an incredible neighborhood activity that we do together. I remember once we had once four straight days of massive snow. over three feet of snow. Everybody was stuck for, for four days. And there was like barbecues going on at the end of cul-de-sacs and stuff like that because people couldn't go anywhere. The neighbors just got together and dug each other out. But one thing I noticed, it wasn't just the Christian neighbors who were doing it non-Christian neighbors were doing it just as much, if not more. We didn't have, like, crosses on our shovels. The Christians, we just all got out with shovels and did our thing. The non-Christian and the Christian were just as kind, just as helpful. If we just do it by good deeds and hope somebody's going to figure out by that 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 they're going to figure out how to get to Jesus, we're kidding ourselves. We have to speak up. People need to hear the truth of the gospel. He taught and he proclaimed we must explain it so it's understood. Speaking up is proof that you care. Proof number one, you're proactive. Proof number two, you speak up. Proof number three that you care is you meet needs. You meet needs. Verse 35, in healing every disease and every affliction. And healing every disease and every affliction. Jesus went in there, he taught, he proclaimed, and he healed. The old saying is true, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. It's true. That's why, in my opinion, street corner evangelism, when they're on the corner and there's no relationship and they're yelling at you to turn or burn, can possibly work, and it has worked occasionally, but most of the times it it doesn't. So, where we lived in Colorado, and the church that I pastored was in Littleton, just south of Denver. Across the street from the church was a different city, Highlands Ranch. Beautiful areas. Where the church sat, it was up on this bluff and had this panoramic view of the Rocky Mountains. And especially in Highlands Ranch, it was a younger community, a lot of young families were there newer shopping centers, new restaurants. There was a mall that was down the freeway a little bit that was gorgeous, and people loved to flock there. It wasn't like some of the malls today that are dying. It's a very vibrant mall to this day. Uh, Strong public schools, active parents, beautiful neighborhoods, nice houses, somewhat even affordable, believe it or not. And uh, it was just the beautiful life. Except that in that area, the teen suicide rate is off the charts. School shootings are like high there. Our daughter went through one of the school shootings, not the Columbine one, but another one. She hasn't been quite the same ever since. It's one of the the busiest swing lifestyle communities. Swing lifestyle is when Married couples swing back and forth sexually with other couples. Depression, anxiety, divorce is high. It's hidden, but the needs are everywhere. You know what we learned? Is that people wanted to know what God's word had to say that might not always agree with it, might not always like what it says, but they wanted to know because they were desperate to know there's got to be something else here in the beautiful neighborhood. Contrast that to our beautiful area. It is a beautiful area, but the needs are not as hidden. Would you agree? (laughs) Drug addiction, homelessness, Cost of living, which drives all sorts of difficult things, mental illness, despair. It's more obvious here. The last I looked in both of these areas, in Colorado and here, in both of these areas, if I got the statistics correctly, both of them have a 100% mortality rate. They both do. All of us are going to die, and if we die without a savior, we're going to die and spend an eternity separated from the Lord in a place called hell. Do we care? So Jesus goes, and he teaches, and he proclaims, and he meets their needs. He heals them wherever he goes. It draws huge crowds. They want to know what he has to say, and they all want to be touched by his healing touch. He meets their needs. You gain an audience when you genuinely care. You gain an audience when you meet people's legitimate needs. I don't know about you, but I like people who genuinely want to meet my needs. I've never, when somebody wanted to meet my needs or care for me, I've never, get away from me, what, you know, I can't stand you. No, somebody loves me and wants to care for me, I always love them and care for them because you were just drawn to that. People who care, it gets a voice into your life. And so we need to be proactive to speak up and to meet needs. Those are proofs that we care. Proof number four that we care is you show compassion. You show compassion. Verse 36 when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion for them. Compassion. The word literally refers to the bowels or the intestines. It, it talks about the deep emotion. It's not awe. it's far more than that. It's uh, and I need to do something about this. This deep emotion, this compassion leads to action. I've got to do something about this. Because without genuine compassion, there will be no action. There just won't be on anything. Jesus sees not just the physical needs of the people, but he's distressed by the spiritual condition of the people. That's what he's most concerned about. They're harassed and they're... They're helpless. They're like sheep. They're lost without a shepherd who's in their life who can protect them and guide them and watch over them, spiritually speaking. And he is distressed about this. What's interesting, if I... I didn't go through a major study on this this week to figure this out, but I find it interesting that Jesus, I don't think he ever weeps about someone's physical condition even when he comes upon Lazarus's tomb and it says that he cried, he seems to be crying because of everybody else's grief, with so he just has a heart of compassion for them. But when he weeps, he weeps over the spiritual condition, like over Jerusalem and, and things like that. In Luke 15, Jesus gives the parable of the prodigal son. And it is a parable describing, picturing God the, the Father and his care for those who have turned their backs on him, but now are going to come back. And it says in the, in the picture of the prodigal son, talking about the father, and, and he, the son, the prodigal son arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. His compassion led him to action, Luke 15. Compassion for wayward souls will lead you to action. But if there's no action, it would say that there's no compassion, not the depth of compassion that Christ had, not the depth of compassion you need to actually go to action. Do you care? And if you do, you might end up in places where other people will look at you and say, What are you doing there? Remember Jesus just earlier in chapter 9? Verse 9 of Matthew. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why is he hanging out with the sinful people? But when he heard it, Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You might go to places that other people will criticize you if you have compassion. But compassion leads to action." In Matthew 14, it says that Jesus went out on a boat to be by himself. John the Baptist had just died. He was, I don't know, collecting his thoughts, going through grief. I don't know. As he comes back to the shore, there's a huge throng of people waiting for him. And it says in Matthew 14, 14, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Compassion leads to action. Just a few weekends ago at Mount Hermon, we had the delight, the honor, the privilege of having Luis Palau with us to speak. Luis Palau, some uh, have called him over the years, the, the Billy Graham of the Latin world. He has preached the gospel to tens of millions of people. He's still on over 6,000 radio stations. He's written 50-some books. 85 years old. Stage four lung cancer. Although his tumors haven't grown in over a year. And he's he came to preach five sermons in four days. Oh, I wish you could have heard his sermon on heaven can you imagine 85 with lung cancer, a life following the Lord and, and preaching on heaven? It was incredible. And you know what? He would every once in a while get all emotional and teared up. When would he do that? When he talked about people giving their life to Christ. Here's a guy who, through the Lord, has helped millions of people meet Jesus, and when he talks about individual people. He still, at 85, tears up as he talks about people. He has that compassion for people who don't know Jesus Christ. How do you know if you care? You're proactive, you speak up, you meet needs, you show compassion. And lastly, proof number five, you ask for help. You ask for help, verses 37 and 38. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. When you deeply and genuinely care about something and there isn't enough help to accomplish what needs to be accomplished, you will ask for help. That's what you do. Come on, let's get going. We need to take care of this. We need to deal with this. We need to accomplish this. We need to provide this. But the reality and the problem in this case is there are far more people who need to be saved than people who are willing to go out and help save them. That hasn't changed in the last few thousand years, by the way. But here's the interesting wrinkle here Jesus does not ask us to recruit other people to help. Did you notice that? He doesn't say, Go and get all your friends and get them to go do this. Instead, he says to go to God and ask God to provide the people to help. Go to Him. Now, I like that, but why? Why this method? Why not us hounding and rounding up our Christian friends to go and do this? Because this isn't our harvest. It's God's harvest. He's the Lord of the harvest. He is responsible for it. He is over it. He is Lord of it. And so we're going to pray earnestly to him for him to bring the workers Paul the great evangelist wrote, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but God who gives the growth, 1 Corinthians 3. Ultimately, it's God's harvest. And to be honest, if you don't really care, you don't pray this prayer anyway. Maybe this is how this prayer works, because I'm not exactly sure how it works. Besides, say, Lord, bring people. But I wondered if it's also this way. Like, oh God, my wayward adult son needs you. Please send someone into his workplace, into his softball team, into his neighborhood, however you choose someone who will touch him with you. Maybe it's like this. Oh, oh God, my dear friend who doesn't know you is moving to Seattle. Please send someone who loves you to become her friend and share you with her in Seattle. Or maybe it's, oh, oh God, my dad still has a cold heart towards you while he's in the hospital right now after another failed treatment. Please send a doctor or a nurse or a chaplain who will tell them, tell him once again about how much you love him. Oh, oh God, my teenage daughter is off to camp. Can you please, just the right counselor, that she may listen to her about you because she doesn't listen to me. Would you please send workers into the harvest to do the work? Please. And watch God do an amazing work as He puts people at your request to touch the lives of those who don't know Him. Do you really care? Do I really care? I mean, really care. If so, you are proactive. You speak up. You meet needs. You show compassion. You ask for help. And if not, today's a new day. You can pray and ask God that that would be true of you. But I can't give this this message this morning without also saying to you, if you are here today and you personally don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, the one who has provided for you eternal life, I want to tell you something. He genuinely loves you. He seeks after you. He's a proactive God that has come after you. One of the big differences between Christianity and other religions is that it's about a relationship. One of the big differences between Christianity, and other religions. It's a relationship between God and human beings. And what we have is not man seeking after God, but God has sought after human beings. God sent his only son, Jesus, into this world to take upon himself our sin, because sin separates us from a holy God. And when we take on that, that mantle of saying, I ask you to forgive me my sin, and to cleanse me, and to make me clean, and I want to follow you the rest of my days, What Jesus did on the cross has paid the price for your sin. And when you ask for the forgiveness of your sins, he cleans you up and all that you have done is no longer, you're no longer guilty before a holy God. God provided that out of his love for you and for me. All you have to do is understand that and to receive that truth and to ask for the forgiveness of your sins and to choose to follow him the rest of your days and you'll have an eternity with him in heaven. You don't have to do any good works to get there. You have to believe, ask for forgiveness, and receive that gift of eternal life. He wants you with him. He loves you. He's come to gather you into his family and into the kingdom that is his, where he reigns. And there's no more sin and no more pain in heaven forever. So if you would bow with me, please, at this time. And if you have never prayed that prayer to receive Jesus Christ into your life, I invite you to do that right now. And I will say the prayer, but you can say it from your heart and make it your own before the Lord. Dear Lord God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for being proactive to reach out to me. Thank you for sending your son to die for me and to take upon my sins upon himself on the cross. Please forgive me of my sins, all of them. Remove me, remove them from me Make me clean. I want to live for you for the rest of my days and tell other people about what you've done for me. I follow you from this day forward. If you prayed that prayer today, make sure to tell somebody, especially one of the staff here, church. Dear Lord God, I think you love that prayer more than any other prayer. The prayer of someone who realizes how much you love them and that you want to be with them with all eternity, for all eternity, Lord, we ask. We ask for you the Lord of the harvest, to send out workers into the harvest. I pray that we would care deeply and it would show by our actions. Lord, you are our example. We follow you. Send out workers, Lord, into the harvest, we pray. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the High Street Community Church weekly message. We hope you were encouraged to follow Jesus. For more, please subscribe to our podcast or visit us online at hscchurch.org.